Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. All right. So Gigi, obviously, this is Herschel in my arms. And I'm 29 years old. I live in Florida uh, with my family. And um, that is my husband, Brock, and our dog, Freddie. And he's, um, he's named after Freddie Mercury, which I feel like is an important detail of <laughs> who I am, who we are. Um, and uh, six weeks ago, we welcomed our first baby, little Herschel, um, at home. And I will get into how that all happened, basically. Um, and then a little bit more about me to kind of color the story. Um, some people might be interested to know that I'm a double Libra, sun and rising. Um, so naturally with that, like I, I love beautiful things. I'm very relational. I overextend myself. Um, I like organizing and planning and hosting. Um, And that sounds like a foreign version of me now. (laughs) Um, Six weeks ago, that was who I was. Um, But I think like the most important thing as this little baby grunts is um, like my life is completely oriented by my relationships or around my relationships. Um, And I love to learn and I'm very curious. I studied theology and psychology both in college. So I have um, like a dual degree in both those subjects. And I chose those things because to me, those are like the endless pursuits. Um, The more you learn about God and human beings, the more you realize you have no idea about anything. So um, they're just like endlessly fascinating. Um, So yeah, that's kind of the get to know me in brief. And then I think as the story unfolds, a lot more will be revealed. But um, the hallmark, like the beginning of the story really starts at – when I met my husband in maidenhood. Um, and I spent my prime 
like prime years with him, my late teens and all my twenties, obviously. Um, and I was like completely designing my life around him. Um, and we were long distance for nine of the 10 years we were together before we got married. Oh my gosh. Um, cause he was in the military, he's in the Navy and I was like very career oriented, but also very relationally oriented. So, um, you know, it was very, we were very secure and committed, but I also knew that I wanted to study and go to school and have kind of independent life. And I think part of the reason I was able to do that was because our relationship was very solid, even from the time we were like 16 and 17 years old. Um, so we met at a, it's very cheesy and very, um, it's like unbelievably cute, <laughs> but we met at a, um, a mixer dance between his school and my school. Cause I was at a girl's school and he was at a boy's school. And, um, we like saw each other from across the room and he came up to me and like in his boyish way was flirtatious and I was enamored. And I said to my friend who was with me at the time, I said, I'm marrying him and we're going to have babies. And of course she was like, e okay. <laughs> um, but it was like a switch that went off in me and, um, it was intuitive. Like I knew, um, it was all about him from that point on. And like, I would visualize my future and it was just Brock. And, um, then 10 years later, after lots of time apart, um, we got married in Lake Como, Italy. And like up until six weeks ago, that was the peak of our existence, obviously. Um, like one of, one of the things that you had me ponder was what is like my soul essence. And I was like, God, that is a hard question. But I kept coming back to our wedding and I was like, it's Lake Como. It's like my wedding day in Lake Como. If I can claim that, because that's very like, like my soul is Lake Como. That's very, who says that? <laughs> you know? um, like nobody gets to say that, but I guess I am. Um, but if you really want to like know me and know my family and know my husband and know what we're about, it's like our wedding day and our wedding video. Um, so there's that piece of the story. And then another important thing I think to mention is that I'm a therapist. So for um, mental health. So that's like another big identifier and a constant kind of thread in my story is my pursuit of that. Um, but I'm very like introspective and analytical and what I do outside of um, or what I used to do, you know, before motherhood was listen to people's stories and help them sort through the mess um, and help them realize that they have unmet needs that are driving the boat of their lives um, and causing them to like be avoidant, avoidant living and addictive living and things like that. 
Um, so those are like the two paths of my life that have been very straightforward. It's like, this is my job and this is my boyfriend basically, (laughs) um, at the time. And, um, like those are the two things that I've always wanted for myself. I wanted my love story and I wanted to gossip for a living, you know? Um, but there is like on a serious note, there is, um, this story, my supervisor once told me all about how the right kind of people fall into the therapy profession based on like their own wounds. And she, she painted this picture of the wounded healer. And she said, like, we enter the arenas of our traumas. And I feel like that's what I did. Um, But yeah, it's really the only type of work I think that suits me. And if I can find a way to kind of weave it into motherhood now, I will. But for now, obviously, it's like I am six weeks postpartum and my world has shifted and it's on a new axis. And um, yeah. I'm so curious what was the most rewarding part of being a therapist? Because mm-hmm. that's also the line of work that I was going to go in. And then mm-hmm. I became a, I became a photographer. And I just align with I'm a I'm a Libra sun, Libra moon. I, I'm so relational, like all the things. I'm so similar to you. Yeah. <laughs> and psychology is my everything. But I'm personally really happy I never went into therapy. Um, because my sister's a therapist and and I see this huge shadow side of it where people don't want to change. Like they, they, they don't want to Mm -hmm. because they're gaining emotional needs by being seen and heard in their struggle. And it's the only way they know how to feel loved is through their struggle and things like that. But anyways, what was the most rewarding part of your job? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's the connection, like it's the witness that you get to do. And I'm sure you feel this like as a photographer, it's just another form of witness, um, to people's stories and people's families and to be let in and trusted and to to guide gently, you know, I'm, there's different schools of thought on how much, um, direct direction you give clients, but, um, I, I don't let people get away as a therapist. I don't let people get away with their BS and I call people out very early on. And that's not a style that is suited for a lot of people, but they weed themselves out. So you're right in that the majority of people who come to therapy just want like an ally in their suffering. And I refuse to be that person to people. So the reward comes when I get like the 2% of clients who are on board with that idea and they actually change. I would be the same type of therapist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's the best type. (laughs) Do your friends come to you when they when they're seeking that honest honest lens then? 
Because I yeah. know friends come to me for that and they purposely don't come to me for that also. Yeah. Um, I was always the person to – and this is why I just sort of feel like these were my paths is um, I, I was the, the person kind of in pursuit of like a romance story and I was also the person who just kind of was able to accurately – describes someone's situation to them and like lead them to the better all like the better path that sounds very righteous but um I definitely was I was like the advice giver not that that's what therapy is at all but in my younger years like in my teenage years when all my girlfriends were struggling like in their love lives or with their families I was like yes you're struggling and this is how to get out of it and I've always been that way so I love learning this about you. <laughs> yeah. So that um that those are like the sides of me and then up to this point it's been um uh, it's been like a 4 or 5 year long preconception journey you know, and all of that was going on. Um, I was, <laughs> he's really uh, gurgly. Uh, I was working, you know, in the, in that field, helping people. Um, and then my relationship was unfolding and shifting all the time because we were constantly in different places and having to travel to each other. And, um, so I had so much freedom and independence and um part of that kind of evolved when I broke up with <laughs> hormonal birth control um which also just sort of happened because I was one of thousands tens of thousands of young girls who had like some struggles with her cycle when it first began and was taken to my pediatrician and was given one option and that was the pill and that would be the thing to take all my problems away like my cramps and my um fatigue and um that just happened sort of and like 10 years later I was still on it and planning my wedding and like kind of coming up against that unexplored part of myself for the first time. Like here's this um, major part of my physical existence dormant. Um, and it didn't, it no longer fit with my story at that point. And this was like late 2019 and we had just started like planning our wedding and kind of talking about a family. Um, so I was in Salt Lake City um, and for Thanksgiving, and um, I had to set some boundaries with my family that year, so I wasn't going home for the holidays for the first time. And so I went um, with Emily, our mutual amazing friend, and I spent Thanksgiving with her family 
And for 10 years, I had the withdrawal bleed experience. And in my head, like clockwork, every, every end of every pill pack, it was, I was bleeding for five days. And I, that whole time, thought I was getting a period. Nobody had explained to me that I was not. Um, and I didn't look it up. You know, I didn't bother. It worked for me at the time, like, um, sort of, you know. But uh, suddenly, that during that trip, I was supposed to start bleeding and it never came. So this was huge for me because I was like, where is my where's this blood that I've been experiencing for 10 years, like clockwork. And so I really feel like something happened internally and I don't know what, and I don't know if anybody could tell me that just marked a shift and like called me into something different. And of course, Emily was like, you should probably just stop taking those. (laughs) And I was like, really? I, okay. And I just did, you know, and I think I, the old me would have said, I mean, I've been on this for so long. I should probably like consult my family practitioner at that point who was prescribing it to me. still, without question, you know, just, Oh yeah, here you go. Um, so I left like birth control behind very suddenly and um, it was like this gut decision just yeah this no longer this no longer makes sense and I need to start to become curious about what this what my body is about um, as a woman and like for 10 years I had complete disconnect from that and um, part of this conception journey was like grieving, um, for my 14 year old self and understanding that, you know, she did not need synthetic hormones to shut down, um, this like sacred innate function. Um, you know, the, the vitality of it. And I, I missed that. And I look back And that was my entire puberty that was transformed. And, like, I'll never know what it would have been like to go through that process authentically and truly. Um, So once I kind of grasped that that was my experience, it makes sense that I did this, like, wild shift into like sovereign, you know, autonomous, like femininity. And um, some might describe me as like quite radical now. Um, So it's just been a re uh, like a reclamation of that whole part of my life. And I had to do it so drastically because it had to kind of match the lack that I was feeling. Um, so now I'm totally firm, firm in the belief that like there is absolutely nothing that the system can offer me when it comes to um, my body, especially. Herschel agrees. Yeah, he is fired up about it. He's like, yes, queen. 
Um, <laughs> like there is, there's nothing that they can offer me, you know, when it comes to my body, my fertility, like the only thing the system gave me was a decade of disconnect. Um, yep. so I've totally rejected it. And then that led into conception, the way that conception and pregnancy and birth unfolded for me. Um, like I was not going to give that to anybody and I was going to take that back into my own hands and very much like into my own body. Um, so yeah, I would love to share like the conception journey. Yeah. Um, definitely. So yeah, we, Brock and I have obviously been together a long time. And we spent 10 years, like, wishing our babies to stay away. <laughs> um, like, don't come yet. Um, like, we really didn't want to get pregnant for so long. Um, and then everything kind of worked out. You know, we didn't get pregnant. And I never had – I mean, I never had a cycle. So it wasn't really that possible for me. Um, but I didn't know, you know, at the time. So – I didn't know that I wasn't ovulating. I didn't know that I wasn't having a, a true bleed. And um, so it was like on the forefront of my mind and his that we could get pregnant and we don't want to. So so that was like our consciousness for 10 years was don't get pregnant. And then um, we got married and like a year after our wedding – according to like our perfect timelines, you know, we, we started to like get open to it. Um, and it was very typical openness. Like financially we felt pretty good. We had had a year of newlywed life and, you know, we, we got our puppy to start. <laughs> like, um, we're like, okay, now we can get our puppy and then we'll do that for a year. And then we'll, we'll move, you know, with the military and, um, yeah, we, and like, we'll go to Europe one more time, you know, like get it all out. Um, and so we felt ready, um, in a very like human sense. Um, and then we started to try and I really hate the term trying to conceive now. Um, because of what I've come to understand about how it, how it really works. But, um, we were definitely trying, we were forcing it and like sex became a task and a means to an end. And we lost like the loving playfulness of that whole part of our relationship, not for very long, but you know, I would like, I would track my cycles and I would know when I was in my fertile windows and like we would be, you know, every day. And, uh, I'm like, for sure this will work. <laughs> and, um, of course it did not. <laughs> um, you know, I would like take my tests the few times that I, I took like pregnancy tests thinking it would be positive. They were not. Um, and I was like disappointed, but only kind of logically so. I was kind of like, I was more frustrated than disappointed um, because I thought we were doing everything right. And um, like so many things had just kind of worked out for us up to that point. And I kind of understood life to 
function that way. Like if you do these things and you control what you can control, this is how it goes. And um, of course, like this baby taught me that I'm so wrong. <laughs> um, and luckily, like I, I learned it and kind of woke up to that pretty quickly. So we didn't suffer through that trying phase for more than like a few months. Um, and as soon as I kind of understood that conception was requiring something different of us, there was this energy shift and I stopped doing these things and checking these boxes. I stopped tracking my cycle. Um, and I'm like, we're not going to try anymore. We're just going to open ourselves to life and um like intimacy became creative and fun and freeing again um and I would like spend so many hours talking to our babies and that was very different for me like I would um I would take my dog on like three walks a day and we have so many butterflies in our neighborhood and I was like those are my babies these butterflies that like float around me um and I would see one and I'm like there's my baby and then I would see like four more um and I'd be like there's the rest of them <laughs> and um yeah I just like relinquished control and I tapped into spirit and that's really the only way I can describe describe the shift um, and what the energy was. It was just entirely spiritual at that point. Um, and then with that, it was January of this year, 2023. And with that shift came hope for the first time. Before it was like, it wasn't hope that I was pregnant. It was like, I should be pregnant. <laughs> um like it was expectation yes exactly it was like analytical and cognitive and it wasn't heartfelt and emotional and then in January it started to become that and I started to write letters to our baby and um just allow myself to feel for the first time in conception in like this journey of conception um and yeah I had um I had a bleed begin on January 1st and it felt so significant I'm like wow it's the first day of the first month of the new year and I'm bleeding and like I wanted to be pregnant and so I wrote I like sat in the sun and I wrote a letter to the baby I hoped was with me. Um, and I took a snippet of it to share. Um, and I said in the letter, like today's the first, the first day of the first month of the new year. And I started bleeding and I hoped that you were with me, but my bleed came on in the early hours of the morning. Um, and like, I knew with that first cramp, I knew you weren't here. 
And I said, you're still out there, a sweet, free little soul dancing in the stars. And I'm so sad to be without you. But as I write this letter, and I'm warming my womb in the sunshine, and my tears are flowing for the first time in this process, I feel like this is right, right now. And I, this part like makes me cry, but I said to him, not knowing it was him at the time, but I said to him, keep floating free however long you might need to. So it was like, I'm giving this up to God, to this baby. Like, I am not, this has nothing to do with me anymore. Um, and then my next bleed came. It was 26 days later. And I wrote him another letter and sort of like the same sentiments. Um, I was, I really felt trusting of this baby's timing. And I said, um, <clears throat> I was like, I have been trying so hard to give you what I think you might need from me, but you are the one who needs to give me these things. And I trust you to do that completely. And that feels so peaceful and so freeing. And I know that that is what you require of me as your mom. Like you, my trust in you and not control. Um, and then 10 days later, I got pregnant. <laughs> and of course, it was, I had no signs of being in my fertile window. <clears throat> there was one day of overlap between um, Brock and me. I went out of town, came home for one night, and then he left the next morning for two and a half weeks for work. So we had one night, you know, and I wasn't fertile, quote unquote, according to my signs, my physical symptoms or lack thereof. And um, yeah, and I got pregnant that night. And then it was 17 days later. I know all these timelines because I have these texts, mostly with Emily, where I'm like detailing her everything. And I can go back, thank God for like this function on the iPhone where you can search in your texts. And I'm like, yeah, I know exactly the day. But um, so 17 days later, I got pregnant on the 5th, on February 5th. And 17 days later, I was anticipating bleeding. I was like, okay, any day now. It's like day 33, day 32, whatever. Um, like, where's my blood? And, um, and I cramped. Um, but it was not like any cramp I have felt before. It was very um, localized on my left side, like I could, if I could access like my organs, I feel like I could put a fingertip on the spot where I had a crampy feeling. And normally my cramps are like just my entire lower half. 
And so I'm texting Emily this and she's like, implantation bleed or uh, cramping, implantation cramping. And I was like, no, <laughs> probably not because the odds of that are low. Um, and that was a Monday. And then that Friday I took a test and it was positive. Um, yeah, so I, I really, looking back, like, I think I communicated with him and he heard me and there's a part of his birth story that really solidifies that that is like our soul connection to each other, um, that I'll get into momentarily, um, but yeah, that's like an important an important note is I think the ability to not just connect but like fully communicate with these spirits. Um, and um, yeah, so I had basically like a wild pregnancy. I don't know if I get to claim that. Like some people call me out because I did a I did a gender test, like an at home blood test, to determine if he was a boy or a girl. Um, so I had like more, yeah, I had like a nugget of info that I guess a fully wild pregnancy you don't get, but, um, I would call it a wild pregnancy cause you yeah. did not go to a midwife, a doctor, nothing, nothing, nothing. Right. Yeah, I did not. And that was very, especially for like my family, um, that was very radical of me, but again, totally in line with like this kind of reclamation story I've been weaving when it comes to this part of my life so um, I want to know if you just took it day by day or week by week or you intentionally were like I am not going to seek anyone out how did that go from when you found out you're pregnant where did you mm -hmm. wh what was your headspace I had this kind of background decision that not really a decision, more of like a, an understanding that I didn't have to do that. And that at any time, if I felt like I wanted to, I could, it was very casual. Like that's available for me if I feel like I need it. But right now I don't. So I guess it was very day by day because every day I would kind of say, no, not today. I don't need that. Maybe I will at some point, but I feel good. So no, like, no, thank you. And, um, yeah, you know, my mom was like freaking out. Like, don't you think you should get an, at least one ultrasound just to like check? And I'm like, no, I really don't feel like I need that. Why did um, you feel like you didn't need that? Like, because for a first time pregnant woman, that's usually the biggest feeling is that they feel they need it mm -hmm. to connect to to assure themselves of something. Right. It felt like that would have been, for me, steps backwards in the, yeah, the girl who was like on birth control for 10 years would have done that. And this woman who, who was rejecting that, <laughs> 
you know, I was, I was becoming this woman who doesn't need anything outside of myself to feel good in my body. And like pregnancy, of course, is so physical. It's such an embodied time. And, you know, for me, it's like where a soul from the universe somewhere meets their physical form. It's so bodily. And I was just in this new perspective that I don't, when it comes to my body, I need no one. Like I need no doctor. I need no test. I need no checkup. I need no annual whatever to say, okay, you look good or you look, or you don't. And then like what, you know? (laughs) So yeah, for me, it was, um, it was this understanding that like typical medicalized prenatal care would be more harmful for me personally than it would be helpful because it would be going back to something that is no longer aligned with who I am. And, and I had been communicating with my baby and truly listening and trusting. And I, this, this is, you know, where like free birth becomes very challenging and wild pregnancy becomes very challenging because it's kind of this acceptance of both the capacity for life and the capacity for death. And I knew that if I went to get a scan and they told me something dire was going to happen to me or to my baby, it wouldn't have changed that I would want to A, give birth to this baby and B, give birth to him at home. I, I know that sounds kind of crazy to a lot of people. But I was just accepting, like, of of that reality. And it wasn't worth giving that up. Like, the peacefulness that I felt would have come under fire had I entered the system at any point. Because what are they going to tell me? Either he looks great and I look great, or there's something they're concerned about. And I had no concerns. I had no, I had no reason for concern. And I think I would have known had I needed to be concerned about something. But then again, would it have changed anything? No, not for me. So... Is there anything else noteworthy in your pregnancy? Because it just sounds like for a first-time mom, like through Emily, the story I have of you through Emily is mm-hmm. it it was just peaceful. And you kept living your life because that's what pregnancy is. You just keep living your everyday life. Yeah, it okay. was. It was peacefulness. It was like a, an exercise in trust. I really didn't have doubts or concerns and other people around me did and other people would you know women who had just given birth or were pregnant themselves were like asking me basically why I wasn't afraid and um and I just was not available to their 
projections. <laughs> like I, I was really, really boundaried and I wouldn't let anything take my peace away. I was very protective. And, um, yeah, I just kind of stayed put and was like, that doesn't, no, that's not for me. I'm going to go in the direction that I've been going in and not stray from that. So it was just very peaceful. And I mean, luckily it was, um, I physically felt great. So up until I didn't, which is yeah. part of the birth story. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good segue. Yeah, it is. Um, so it kind of begins, he was born on October 18th, but on the 10th of October, um, I was so, so sick, probably like one of the sickest I've, days I've ever had. And I, I do not throw up um, ever. Like I threw up, I have a memory of throwing up when I was like five. And then I have a memory of throwing up the first time I had a tequila shot. And those are like my two vomit stories. <laughs> and I woke up that day and I felt so nauseous and I had experienced no nausea in the pregnancy, except for when my blood sugar would get a little low in the early days, like when I wouldn't eat enough. But that was like a queasiness. It wasn't even a nausea. Um, but I was so sick. And I, I texted Brock like to come home from work to take care of me. And he was like, oh my God, this never happens. So he rushed home and he walks in and I'm in bed and I'm like, Ugh. and he's, as he does, he's always like trying to get me to eat and drink. So he's like feeding me water and I'm like, get a bowl. I'm going to throw up and I lose everything. And that happened a few more times. And with it, I had like some cramping sensations, but it was kind of unclear if it was like, am I, is this like maybe a contraction or is this a cramp because I'm like throwing up so violently that my abdomen hurts or am I dehydrated? Like what is going on? Um, but looking back, I think I was like releasing and creating space. Um, and I felt very calm and confident kind of in that, um, interpretation of it at the time. Like, nope, this is okay, you know, I'm, yeah, yeah, one, one, um, understanding of it might be that I have, like, a stomach bug, and another understanding of it is that my body is creating space because my baby is coming soon, and, um, and I'm also, like, releasing everything that I've been holding back throughout this pregnancy, like, all the comments that I received that I didn't respond to, or, like, the concerns, or, you know, the times that I bit my tongue like around someone because they asked me an inappropriate question, you know? Um, so yeah, basically like that happened a week before, um, I was actually going to give birth, but, um, Adelaide, my birth attendant and like probably a well-known person in this space, um, we had, like, yes. we had, like, you know, selected her, um, to be there, hopefully, 
for my birth, but she was coming from North Carolina. So there was like no guarantee that she would make it. Um, cause I could spontaneously like go into labor at any time and she's like nine hours away. So, but we were in touch with her and she was set to come like a week later, but are you okay? Um, but it turns out she could, she could come in like a couple days and we were kind of like, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a good idea <laughs> because of the way that I feel currently. And I was 36 weeks at that time. So. He, um, yeah, luckily she was available and, um, he was born six days later. Um, so like she came down from North Carolina and we just kind of spent the days, um, together and like we cooked, I had all these grand plans to like stock a deep freezer for my postpartum, but suddenly I was very tired and not getting as much done. And I think I was probably in labor, quote unquote, for a week, like up from the day I was sick to the day he was born. Um, and I was, I was slowly kind of, they call it, it's like the veil, you know, that sort of, I don't, the phrase is escaping me now, but like the thinning veil or something. What's up? Um, he's just stirring ever so much. It's crazy that your birth attendant came to you at 36 weeks. Yeah. Um, it just kind of like worked out. Like she was, um, she was available for that. So, um, and we had planned for her to stick around postpartum to help us primarily. Um, and, uh, yeah, so she really, like, for a week kind of helped me, um, prepare, like, my space and my body and, um, and then things, like, took a turn because I started getting incredibly uncomfortable in my skin. So it was the Saturday, that, that next Saturday, um, I started itching all over my body and, um, you know, for someone who throughout their whole pregnancy felt great and totally comfortable and had no, really no discomfort, this was a shift. And, um, you know, I, it was like waking me up in the night, how bad I was itching all over my body. Um, and so that happened Saturday, Sunday into Monday and it just kept getting worse and more disruptive to my sleep, especially. And so I'm texting Adelaide about it Wednesday morning, the day he was born. It was Wednesday morning. And I had like a really normal morning as so many women do. Like you're getting stuff done. It's like you subconsciously know you're about to not get anything done other than like, you know, sustain life. That's like not a small thing but you're about to not get anything done for a while. So like, let's, you know, clean the house and like take the dog to the vet appointment. And like, I picked up my car at the mechanic or whatever. And I'm texting Adelaide and I'm like, God, I am so uncomfortable. And she's like, I don't love this. You know, she has such like a casual, like 
genuine, sweet way of like not in not being concerned either. And I think that's why we we like worked really well together in this partnership. Um, but she consulted like other, you know, kind of traditional, authentic midwives and birth keepers. And the consensus was like, this isn't great, you know, that you're, that you feel this. Um, and like what it is, you know, is it's cholestasis, I think is how to say it. Um, and it's like a buildup of bile because your liver is not like functioning optimally in late pregnancy and it can hit throughout pregnancy, whatever. But I have, I have women who I know who, um, were diagnosed with this and were, induced and had c-sections because there's no like treatment for it but everyone's kind of really concerned about it and it's also a new kind of phenomenon and they what Adelaide kind of gleaned from her research and consulting with these other women is like it's probably related to um, estrogen dominance issues which are more common now because there's so much estrogen in our water and in our food yeah, because this um, diagnosis is suddenly on the map everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, you Google, like, why am I itching in late pregnancy? And I did that. You know, I still had those moments. Um, and, of course, it's like you have cholestasis. Is it cholie? I don't even know. Cholio, cholestasis. And um, you're going to have a stillborn baby, mm-hmm. you know, is basically what you – unless you get a C-section. So – I just read that and was like, no, <laughs> I like knew better than that. And, um, I just, again, I wasn't available for that kind of like fear mongering. It just wasn't serving me. Um, but basically, you know, I'm on the phone with Adelaide at like, uh, one to kind of talk about it, talk about like what's going on. And, um, that it's probably cholestasis and like here are your kind of three avenues when you're experiencing this. And the first of course is to like, yeah, you could go in and they'll, you're, you're 37 weeks. I was 37 weeks at this point. Um, you know, since you've made it that far, like they'll induce you. Otherwise they would probably admit you, keep you until you arrive at 37 weeks and then induce you. And then you have 12 hours to have your baby, and then they're cutting him out. So that was a hard pass, you know, obviously. I wasn't available for that option. And then the other, the other path was kind of like, we could go and get your liver enzymes tested, and we could really see if you have cholestasis, like if you're in that range. And, but that was sort of like the ultrasound for me. It was like, is, that gonna, is knowing that that's what's going on? going to change something or am I going to give birth to this baby at home the way that I want to? So that was a no. And then her final option, which felt best to me and, you know, to everyone was like, let's see if we can get things moving like gently, which um, I took seriously because of course Adelaide, the type of birth keeper that she is, is hands off, like let the mother be. She's there for what I need, but she's not 
taking charge in any of these processes. You know, she totally respects like the space um, that's required, you know, for for birth to work um, the way that it should and the way that it can. So she said to me on the phone, though, she goes, bottom line is, I would really love to meet your baby by tomorrow morning. And that struck me. Um, and I wasn't like afraid. I wasn't afraid or concerned. Um, I was just like, wow, that is a significant thing to say. Um, and like we were kind of thinking that I probably want to give birth for another three weeks, another month maybe. So, um, um, but there was like no fear in her voice again. It was just like, she was excited. (laughs) And so, and you know, it was loving. She would love to meet my baby by tomorrow morning. And if not by tomorrow morning, maybe tomorrow night, maybe the next day. And like, if that didn't happen, then we could explore, you know, one of those other options essentially, if I wanted to. And so I just said like, okay, um, like me too. I guess I would love to meet him by tomorrow morning too. And like, here we are, we're ready. Like we're ready for you. And this is the part of my birth story that people are going to doubt actually happened, but it did. Um, my baby heard that and I began to contract instantly and there was no mistaking. Like it wasn't like, Oh, was that a little, I was like, Oh my God. Ouch. (laughs) And Um, I said to her on the phone, we're like wrapping up the conversation and I was like, you're not going to believe this, but I think I'm having contractions. Like, no, I definitely am. And this hurts. And she's like, okay, I love that so much. And I'll see you in an hour. (laughs) And I was like, great. Um, Herschel was in on the conversation. Oh yeah. As he has been like this whole time. Right. Yeah. Like we've been communicating with each other. And I said, okay, like, I'm, we're ready to meet you now, please. And he was like, got it. (laughs) And, and here we go. And, um, I mean, and it was intense. Like from that moment on the most, the most break, I'm going to adjust it. Um, you could do whatever you want. The most like break I had in between these sensations, maybe two minutes, maybe two minutes. And they were intense. And I'm texting Emily, who was also hoping to be present for my birth, but was on a plane coming back from Paris. And I was like, you're gonna attend my birth on this transatlantic flight because this baby is like, on his way down. She's like, are you serious? And, um, yeah, it just like there was no stopping that train, you know, and incredible because he heard it and like he heard that call and he came through. And um, the yeah, intelligence, so, the intelligence of babies, right? And like, 
Oh, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's incomprehensible. And and I'm that's yeah, that's like what I love. So Yeah, your um, story your story and you're gonna get into it really, but your story to me is a blueprint of what is possible. Because mm-hmm. we only hear of these other stories and these other blueprints of what we think is possible, but you Herschel has shown us what is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's so he's so wise. He has so many stories to share. Yeah. Like yeah. so much wisdom to to share. Um, so what time these contractions started around 1 or 2 p.m.? That was like 2 o'clock. We talked for like 30 minutes. And so by like 2 o'clock, here it is. And she's like, great, I'll see you in an hour. This is wonderful. Like, you know, see you soon. And I was like, cool, I'm going to call Brock, who was at work. And um, he was actually scheduled to be on a flight. I don't know if I mentioned before, he's a pilot. So he was going to fly that night. And um, I text him very casually. And we laugh so much about it now. Because I was like suddenly so in labor. And I'm just texting him like, do you have a second to chat? Are you free? (laughs) He's like, yeah, what is going on? And I'm like, "What what time are you supposed to fly tonight? And he's like, I'm going to, like, you know, about an hour, I'll get get going. And I'm like, you might want to cancel it. <laughs> like, so um, casual. And he's like, okay. Um, and I said, call, you know, call me when you have, like, a free minute. And um, he calls me instantly. He's, like, freaking out. And um, I give him, like, a little explanation of what's going on and he would describe it as like, again, I was very calm. Um, there was no alarm for this. It was just like, yeah, Adelaide would love to meet our baby. And like, so would I. And I think we're going to have a baby soon. Like if not now, like by tomorrow. So you should probably come home and cancel your flight. (laughs) And he obviously did and came home right away. And he gets home like 30 minutes later. And by then I'm fully in it. Like I am, um, I'm in like in between the consciousness kind of states. And I've been like moving throughout our um, backyard. And my dog is like sensing that something is happening and is suddenly very calm and like protective of me. And um, I changed clothes. I put on what we call my birthing gown, which is this really sweet uh, dress. It's, it's like supposed to be a hospital gown, but my grandma made it for my mom when she was giving, going to give birth. So I have that like heirloom and I adorn it. <laughs> and Brock comes home and he finds me like in my birthing gown on my hands and knees. And he's like, what have I stumbled upon here? Um, like 30 minutes after I was just talking to you. And he's like, where are your affirmation cards? Like where we need to set up your space. (laughs) And, um, I was like, yeah, that'd be great if you could find my affirmation cards. (laughs) And, um, we can't find them. Um, and I was like, hi, could you draw me a bath? Like, I'm ready to 
be in water and I was planning to have a tub birth like we had a Adelaide had brought a birth tub and um but she hadn't arrived yet and like it takes a while to set that up and I was like I really want to get in the bath and then Adelaide kind of walks in and um it's like 4 15 so it had been like a couple hours at this point and she was like it's a little early probably for you to like get in water so maybe we can do some other things and then we'll talk about getting in the water and I was like is this supposed to be this difficult this early was kind of my question to her not in those words because I wasn't like being coherent but I, I said like I feel like a wimp because this is two hours and I'm losing it and she's like you're not a wimp it's just let's just you know, let's go outside like let's you know um and uh I mean I'm like moaning and groaning in the backyard and the sun's going down and I'm like it's really in my back um and I'm like leaning into both of them. She's like trying to braid my hair and I'm, I'm like pushing my back into her pelvis for some relief. Um, and they're trying to like, she had made me like a mango smoothie or something and I was trying to sip on it because I missed lunch because I was talking to her on the phone and then suddenly I was in labor. So they were both kind of concerned about my calorie intake for the day. And, um, but I was just like on another kind of level all at that point. And, um, (laughs) so I, I go inside, it's getting dark and I go to pee and I lose my mucus plug. And that was like very exciting because that doesn't always happen. And. I was like, okay, yes, like this is happening. I knew it. And um, then I get in bed and I'm like on my hands and knees. It's probably like six o'clock. And she, Adelaide, comes in the room and is like kind of helping Brock with like counter pressure on my back. And it's like relieving for a minute, but I'm having, at this point, I'm having maybe 20, 30 seconds between these sensations. So it's just enough time to kind of like catch my breath. So Adelaide had made dinner and Brock was trying to like spoon feed me. Um, And I was not able to chew (laughs) my food. I could not I uh, I could not like have a contraction and chew at the same time, and they were, yeah, like nobody really understood like how deep into it I was, you know, and it was, it was doubtful only because it's like okay, I'm 37 weeks and like I'm a first time mom, so this could go on for a while, probably will for like another day or two. So their whole kind of MO was let's get her to eat, let's get her to sleep, like let's she's going to exhaust herself. And I could not communicate what I 
knew physically but didn't know logically for not having experienced it yet was like, no, he's he's like coming now, you know, any minute it felt like. And um, so they would feed me and I would like hold the food in my mouth. I guess they told they crack up and they're like, you sat there hoarding mushy food in your mouth for like an hour. And it felt to me like 10 seconds, you know, but um, yeah, it was ridiculous. Like I would almost fall asleep, but not, you know, it's like this, I'm like floating and I'm, they're trying to feed me. And every time I'm like, okay, I'm ready for a bite. And they get the spoon up. I'm like, "Mm -mm, here's another one. And it was like this hours long, like two hours long trying to get me to eat a small bowl of food. Um, so yeah, so Adelaide kind of like her energy shifts a little to like, okay, help me help you give me four bites, four big bites of food. And then you can take a shower. And I'm like, okay. So I get those bites down and then she's like helping me kind of get up, um, into a seat, like to, you know, to stand up and go walk in the bathroom. And she gives me this like nugget of advice of the, of wisdom that, you know, every, I feel like every woman, pregnant woman has heard. And it's like, relax your jaw to relax your cervix, um, like open. And I was moaning and groaning at kind of a high octave, kind of like a, uh, you know, and she goes, you have to lower your octave, release your jaw. And I did that. So it was like, it went from a huh to a huh. And as soon as I let that sound out, I felt him descent. But I couldn't say that to anybody because I couldn't like come up with words. So I look at her and I'm like spacey and I go, that's different. (laughs) And she was like, (laughs) she was like, yeah, it's relieving. Like she was thinking that like, yeah, it feels good. And I'm like, (laughs) but whatever. I walk into the shower. It's like 9 PM. And, um, they're like scheming together. Like, okay, she'll shower. She'll eat more. She'll fall asleep. And then we'll like get the tub, you know, because we'll let the water, we'll let the hot water run out while she's in the shower. And then we'll, that'll like buy us some time. <laughs> and I get in the shower and I'm like lowering the octave and I'm relaxing the jaw. And like 20, 30 minutes maybe goes by and I feel the fetal ejection reflex, which is a mystery to anybody who hasn't felt it. Um, but you know what it is when you feel it. And it is a full body gag reflex. Like you are expelling everything you can from potentially every orifice. Like, um, so that's the whole thing is like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to poop or pee or vomit, but it's just your baby's coming out. And sure, you might poop or whatever, um, but it's totally involuntary. And so I start to groan in this low octave and then gag at the end of it, like, with my entire body. And I do that a few times. And then I start to roar 
at the end of the gag, like in again, totally involuntary. And it sounds like a lion is in my house. And so it's like, and I do one of those roars and my water opens, my waters break. And I'm in the shower like alone, but Adelaide heard the roar and she comes in right, right after my waters break. And I was like, I think my water broke and that looks like meconium. Like, what is that on the shower floor that's being like washed down the drain? And she is like such a badass, obviously. And she gets on her hands and knees and she's like investigating the substance that came out of my body. And she's like smelling it. <laughs> she's like, Mm-mm, it's not meconium. It's just more like blood, more mucus. We're good. Like, keep it up. She's like, do you want to get out of the shower? Is it cold? And by that point, it had kind of gone cold. So she's like, okay, let's get you on the toilet. Like, let's take a breather. And um, so I sit. Um, I sit on the toilet. Brock has come in at that point. He's like taking cute pictures. Thank God for that. And um, there's this image of me on the toilet. And there's not a lot of space between our toilet and our wall. And Adelaide's like cramped herself. She's like 6'2". She's like cramped herself into this squat in between the wall and the toilet. Like our knees are touching and like our faces are right here, you know. And she's like, open your mouth, relax your jaw. Don't push yet because you're going to push against a closed cervix. And that's not going to feel good for him. And it's not going to feel good for you. And you're going to exhaust yourself. And I was like, I can't not like you're not um and like you're opening my mouth and the more that my mouth opens the more that I'm gagging this baby out of my body it's really funny and she's like uh yeah I have a few more of those and she's like open open and she's like open your let your tongue fall out like she's just with me in it and it was so incredible because she's like grounding my physical kind of body but I am consciously all over the map and I'm like here and not here and here and not here and um like with every intense sensation I'm, I'm like here with it but then I'm like floating somewhere else and she um she was like let's pray together and Brock gets we have a set of like rosary beads that um, Herschel's godfather gave to us when we got married. And like he got them blessed in Italy. So they're like very special to us. And um, Brock grabs the rosary beads and he goes, she's like, oh my God, these are beautiful. Like where are these from? And he goes, the godfather. And she's like, what? And I remember this so vividly. It was like my one moment of like, I'm still here. And I'm like, not the Godfather, not the movie, his Godfather. And like pointing to my belly, <laughs> we're all cracking up. It was really cute. Where would you say you were? Oh my God. I don't know. I mean, um, it was just like, an, it was a trip. It was like another realm of conscious existence. Um, and it's very much, it's like the in-between space. 
like in between reality and I don't know somewhere else amazing um but you really do travel I think like to wherever your baby like wherever like the last part of your baby remains you know before they like are birthed you go and like collect the last little bit of them and then you're here together and that's exactly what it was and I'm like gagging gagging you know um ejecting and I kind of get up a little bit and I'm like I feel something and they both look down and they're like "Mm, maybe like a little mucus is coming out they're like nothing's really there and I was like no 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 this is substantial and I like kind of reach up and it feels like a bubble and I'm like it's like the sack it's something and I kind of involuntarily push again and they both look again and Adelaide goes oh that's your baby and I will never forget like the sound of her voice when she said that and I was so excited in that moment and validated also because <laughs> I'm like I freaking told you um like I but, told you, but I but I couldn't tell you. Right. I was telling you with my body, my sounds. Yes, exactly. Um, like, hello, people. And um, yeah, it was funny. They're like, no, nothing's there. And I'm like, it's there. And um, and then it is his bottom. He was breached, so it's his little booty. And um, Brock gets a little bit uh shocked by that like he was expecting like a little head of hair and so Adelaide goes that's your baby and she looks at me and she's like do you want to catch your baby and I was like no (laughs) because I was I had this pregnant belly I have I'm short I have short arms and I can't reach like enough to get and I knew in that moment like that's not going to be the best because I'm over the toilet here so I'm like, I don't think I can get him. I don't think I could catch him physically. And she kind of looks to Brock. And Brock's like, not me. <laughs> because <laughs> he's like, I wasn't expecting a mud. <laughs> and so I'm like, someone else, do it. Like, someone do it. And I get up, like, into a deeper kind of, or a less deep squat. And uh, I'm bracing, like, I, f- I can still feel like my feet into the floor, like into the bathroom floor. It's like so much bracing because I know I'm going to just bleh, and he's going to come out. And that's exactly what happened. So I was like, someone do it. And I like release him and Adelaide like gets him. And he had, you know, as breech babies intelligently do, they have like their cords wrapped around them. Um so as to prevent like the cord coming out first again like intelligent wise perfectly designed um so she like it was a split second she has that cord off and he's in my arms like the most graceful like motion just whoop here you go here's your baby and um did he come out in like a v because it was first yeah, it was his legs up like this. So it's called a Frank breach. There's like a few breach varieties, and he was Frank breach, his legs up. Um, 
So, yeah. And I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to, but it was not painful. It was intense. It was pressure, but that reflex does it for you. Like whether you're ready or not, you know, and like whether the people around you are ready or not or think you're ready, it's like he's coming out. Um, and he heard us, you know, he was, he was not in the optimal position. You know, he was comfy at 37 weeks, probably like kind of side-lying, you know, for the most part, maybe at a little bit of a diagonal based on, you know, what I thought was a butt was a head that I was feeling and vice versa. But he, there was like no time to, to lose, you know, he, I feel like he heard me say, I'm ready. And he said, I'm ready. And whoop, he was coming out the way that he was placed. Like no time to do all these fancy maneuvers, you know? Um, and like, he was so alert and so calm and his eyes were so open and big and just staring at me. And like, communicating to me like I heard you here I am like this is what you asked for (laughs) and as soon as he was in my arms like you asked where I was you are back to your body you are back on earth and I was like whoop like the switch flipped and baby was in my arms and I was with him right there and like totally grounded and fully myself, like no longer unable to communicate or anything, like able to communicate, able to like check my baby and make sure he's good. And he so was. And um, and I said instantly, I was like, Brock, take a picture and check what time it is. Because yeah. Emily wasn't there to check what time it was. Like our astrologer who the most important thing on her mind is like, what time will he be born? And I was like, Emily would want to know what time it is. Like, so he looks and he's got this watch that it has like a button for the date and a button for the time. It's like a sports watch, whatever. And it says 1018. And he's like, that's the date. And he clicks and it says 1018 again. And he's like, hold on. And he keeps clicking. And it's like, oh, shoot, it's 1018 p.m. on 1018 on October 18th. Yeah. I love that. Wow. So that is it. And we're just like staring at each other. And we're all here. Yeah. What about your placenta? Did that come out right away? Did that take a little bit of time? Okay. That's funny because um, it plopped out right after him, but we had no idea So we're in this like little blissful moment. And then a few minutes later, Adelaide's like, we're not going to forget your placenta. Like just in a few minutes, see, see if you can, you know, feel the cord and maybe give it a gentle tug and like, see if you feel your placenta, if it's like ready. And so I reach into the toilet basically. And, um, I'm not finding where the cord is up in me is like returning up in me. And I look down and my placenta is in the toilet. (laughs) Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, um, <laughs> she goes, oh, all right, let's go to bed. Like, it's already out. 
So I, I think it just, I did not feel it at all. We didn't even hear it. Like, I think it just bloop, right, right with him, right behind him. Wow. So your story shows what is possible because in a hospital. Oh, exactly. I, I would have been a C-section because of the, you know, cholestasis. That would have been the induction. But the breach would have sent me into the operating room. Yep. Like, thank God I didn't go in. And he got he got that birth and I got that birth. It's so amazing. What what can you say about the getting to know your baby postpartum bubble mm. where you are a completely different woman. You are a new woman. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's so natural. And I fully, fully believe, you know, your birth sets you up, your pregnancy really, and your birth set you up for your postpartum experience. And... It's been very blissful, just like the pregnancy. It's been it's been easeful. Yes, there are moments of difficulty, and there are nights where, you know, I'm I'm getting an hour stretch of sleep, and then he's waking up, and we're co-sleeping. Um, and I also like I hate these terms like wild pregnancy, home birth co-sleep because the only reason we need like these terms and these distinctions is because of the invention of the opposite you know yep so I hate to say like oh I'm co-sleeping I'm just sleeping with my baby duh you know whatever other Um, mammal does that's what you're doing (laughs) exactly and that's my that is my favorite time like for for many and for me it's a challenging time the night because I would love to sleep, but I'm not meant to right now. Um, and I'm not meant to sleep as a maiden ever again. Like I'm meant to sleep like a mother who at this stage checks on her baby about every two hours, feeds her baby every two hours, and is in this lucid kind of half sleep and also able to show up for life the next day. Because that's just our design. And like my main, if I had a dream as a mom, it's to have a baby who knows that he's safe. I mean, that's probably every mom's dream. But like the, the opportunity to communicate that and to cultivate that feeling I think comes at night because human beings when they sleep are at their most vulnerable. Like we're not on guard anymore. And that's why people who live their lives on guard, activated in fight or flight, they can't sleep, you know? So babies are so innocent. They just sleep so tenderly and then they they startle, you know, it's like they're, they're between these places where 
they understand they're alive and conscious and they're also still like in the womb somehow. And it's like that moment of, oh no, I'm alive. Like, ah, and they wake up and where's mom? And like, where's food? It's so watching that for 12 hours because I go to bed by eight so that I can wake up at eight, you know, and like get, I'm in bed that whole time, but I'm sleeping like five of those hours, you know, but anyway, you know, those 12 hours that I'm like in and out of watching him experience that is joyous to me and to be right there and to be able to give him the security that he's longing for is like the greatest thing of my life and so many moms they fall into this sinister narrative that that is somehow dangerous and that like they have to train the need out of their babies Ugh. yeah how could a mother be dangerous to their baby right it's another it's another cultural lie to mm-hmm. sever the connection of mother and baby. Yeah. And then, you know, we like In my other life, you know, I was witnessing people's, like, unmet needs on a daily basis. And I feel like I'm on the other side. (laughs) And, like, these are the babies that grow up to be adults that come to see me in therapy or people like me. And they're like, I can't sleep at night. <laughs> you know, I I can't fall asleep. I can't stay asleep. I have nightmares. And I'm like, it begins with this wound. That has become so clear to me that this missed opportunity for secure attachment is like the most pervasive problem we're probably experiencing in, in our society. I 100% agree. Have you read The Continuous Concept? Mm-mm. Oh my God. That's her whole thesis of this book where she goes and lives with this Aboriginal tribe where everything they do is the opposite of what we do, right? So a baby is born and they baby wear for at least six months exclusively. They mm. go fetch water, you know, chop wood, walk three miles, and the baby is on the mother or a caretaker. Yeah. And so there's no such thing as baby watching. The baby Mm -hmm. is just with the mother living life. And she talks about how the baby is always on a warm body, the mother, because that is the in-arms phase. Mm -hmm. That first year of life, especially the first six months, is the in-arms phase where their only need is food and mother, warmth, touch, a beating heart next to them. That's the in-arms phase. And it is their rightful place in the world. And a baby knows that. A baby knows when they come into the world, my rightful place is in the arms of my mother. And when a baby is denied that and they are put into a plastic bin 
and a plastic gadget and a plastic this and a box of that when they're put into a lifeless object and not a warm beating heart of the mother, they know they're being denied their fundamental right in this world. Mm -hmm. And they grow up to be these people that are seeking the rightness they did not get in infancy. Right. They are seeking a job to make them feel this certain way, a lover to make them feel this certain way. I am seeking and searching this and this because their rightful place in their arms of their mother was denied. Yeah. And that's the whole basis of the book. And that's exactly your experience because you're talking truth, Mm -hmm. the truth of human existence. And you found it through your mother experience because you want all truth is the same. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Capital T truth. Right. I love the in arms face. Right. That's and it's so short. Yeah. It's so short. It is. It's so sacred and so brief. We have such again, it's such like an opportunity here. And that's I love my nights with him on me and next to me. They bring me as much as they bring him. And, you know, they bring me as much because I didn't have that as a baby. I'm of that like generation, you know, that fell victim to the alternative narratives. And it's this idea that I theorize about all the time with people um, who, who I work with, that we get to reparent you know, ourselves and our children and we get to meet the needs that were not met for us. And like, what an honor to do that and how healing for generations, mine and his. And I said to him last night, it was like two o'clock in the morning and I was up, I was like wired, you know, And he's having such a, we're really not struggling with the sleep because we're just, we're just living in, in the truth, you know, of all of our needs. And, um, every night gets a little bit better where he, I'm, I'm watching, I feel like I'm watching his brain make the connection every single night, stronger and stronger. Like my mom is here so I can sleep. And he falls asleep a little bit faster every time. Like our cuddle gets a little deeper, like a little less awkward. At first, like my hips were killing me because I was lying on my side, like wrapped around him and I'm not a side sleeper. And oh my God, my hips. And now like no pain. You know, my arms like falling asleep because it's tucked under you. Um, Like this cuddle curl thing. Um, And we're just it's getting easier and we're attaching to one another, which makes life better. (laughs) And I, and last night, like he's just stirring. He's just kind of whimpering in his sleep. And I can tell he's like, Ooh, he's on the verge of waking up. And I, for the first few weeks, I had to scoop him up to prevent him, like, you know, from from fully crying. I scooped him up. I set up 
I nursed him for 30 minutes and I soothed him for 30 more minutes and then he fell asleep. And a few weeks later, I have the ability to whisper to him. Like I said to him, what did I say? I was like, your mommy's here. You can sleep. It's okay. And he slept. He fell asleep. Like they're so smart. And that is, there's something so spiritual about the ability to do that in the night. So like what is hardest is the most beautiful and rewarding so far in motherhood. And I learned that within a couple of weeks. Yeah, and to me that is the energy of love because in a logical mind, in the middle of the night, it's inconvenient. But Mm -hmm. if we only showed up for people in need, if we showed up for people that we love only when it's convenient for us, Mm -hmm. is that even love? I don't think so. Mm -mm. So you're showing up for him and attuning to him you know, when culturally it says that's inconvenient in the middle of the night, but it's not true. <laughs> it, and inconvenient and harmful. Yeah. Like we're going to create bad habits and dependent people. I'm like, we don't create dependent, dependent babies. They come into the world dependent. And as soon as we can like wrap our brains around that, our lives will be <laughs> way easier. And like, it's great. Let him be, you know, there's, these are not my words. I saw it the other day somewhere online. Like you, you dive into their dependence, this blip of time so that you foster independence later. And here he is doing it a few weeks old, like the little bits of more independence. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss him crying out for me in the night and being able to give him what he needs like that will go away and I'm relishing it right now it is the happiest part of my day and yeah I'm exhausted <laughs> you know but I'm so happy yeah Yeah, do you want to speak to the deliciousness of motherhood that a lot of first-time moms, there's just that cultural, ugh, my baby, ugh. And you don't feel that way because you're present and attuned to presence of your baby. Mm -hmm. That's where magic of life is. And people reject that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, and that, I think that begins very early on, you know, in preconception that, that attitude begins and, you know, we're, our experiences are, our innate experiences that are our birthright as women and that our babies, our rightful experiences of our babies, like you just spoke to, you know, they're stolen from us and capitalized 
you know, upon and they become a commodity and they're bought and sold and it doesn't have to be that way. And uh, it's just, it's like, it's, I think the, probably the worst thing that's ever happened to women is that process. The worst thing to ever happen to mothers. And it's so, it's right there if we want to take it back and reclaim it. It's available to everyone. You just have to be willing to shut out that nonsense and step back into your own sense, your felt sense, your innate, your instincts. Listen to your baby. It's so uncomplicated. <laughs> the truth is always simple. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you try to, you're saying in the middle of the night, like he's, you're watching him make that neural connection, that neural pathway. And people create all these stories. My baby won't sleep and I'm a victim to this lack of sleep and you're like, but it's so delicious because it's so simple. I'm watching him make these neural connections of attachment. I'm yeah. like, it's magic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's and magic. It's the most powerful thing in the world. Like it is the, everyone knows this. It's like the, and thank God I learned it like, you know, in undergrad very much so. And it is the, blueprint for the rest of our lives why would you reject your opportunity to you know write that blueprint for yourself and for your baby that's like the deliciousness that's the the zest of it all like it gets complicated when people think they need to be somewhere else yeah. Get get help. back out in the world. Get back to work. Mm -hmm. Get your body back. Go out of town. Go go get drinks with your friends. Go. That's where the complexity comes in. Right. But if you yeah. just shut all of that out, which what that's what you've done. There's nothing more important than my baby. There's nothing more important than this attachment with my baby and setting mm -hmm. this lifelong foundation of secure mm -hmm. attachment. And therefore, your life is simply delicious. Right. And I think like conscious, that's conscious parenting and that's reflected in conscious conception. Like when I, when I started communicating with this baby and I told him, I want him, I'm ready, I took on the responsibility. That was on me. Like, he's out there living his life, you know? Like, his little floaty angel life. And I'm saying, come to me. And you can't deny that that is an acceptance, in that moment at least, 
of responsibility for his every need. His every need. Yep. And he said, oh, okay. Like, uh, he's choosing to trust me in that moment. How brave of him to hear me and say yes and come through, leave his place wherever it is and come to my body and come to this life. And how devastating at any point to lose that. And I'm just not willing. There's nothing out there, right, that would make, that would be worth losing that for. No trip, no job, no whatever. Because I said, I'm here, like, I, I invited it. Yeah. This is my responsibility now. Yep. And that, I think, is the conscious, like, when we talk about conscious conception and conscious parenting, like, that's what it comes down to is, okay, this is now your responsibility. Yeah, and it and it is with pets too, but with human babies, obviously, even more intensely, we take in this innocent being yeah, and we assume their needs because they cannot fulfill their own needs. And it's beyond shelter and being fed. It's bathing. It's keeping them clean, keeping them warm. But then there's that whole emotional component, which is what we're referring to. The attachment, the emotional safety is a basic need of a human and a pet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Emotional safety. And that's what you're speaking to. Yeah. More basic even than food, which I remember to be nerdy, like from my early psych classes of that study with the little monkeys. Yeah. And they took these little baby monkeys, and I hate this for them, but they took these little baby monkeys and they gave them the option between the like cold, they they made these mother figures out of you know, these models, these model mother monkeys. And they made the one out of like this cold, wiry, sharp material. And they gave her food. You know, they gave this model mother monkey the bottle with the milk. And then the other monkey that they could choose between, the other mother monkey was the cloth, the warm, the, you know, felt most like the skin of the mother, like that sort of thing. The most comforting in that way. And they proved that the the most basic need is the comfort one, not the food. Because those little baby monkeys went to that little cloth mom every single time. They starved themselves for the sake of the warmth. So it's not like we're making this up. (laughs) We're not pulling it out of thin air, people. (laughs) Like... No, it's yeah. the most relatable thing though because it never goes away because us sitting here as adults when all we want is love and comfort from our spouse mm-hmm. all the time. We never don't want that. <laughs> right. 
this self-soothing nonsense is made up. Yeah. We're not creatures that do that. Are we creatures that learn to self-regulate? Yeah. Okay. But soothing? How, how do we expect yeah. that out of? We're connection mammals. I just, right. I think we could nerd out on psychology concepts like this for a while yeah, <laughs> because for sure. this is, this is so good. Is there anything else to your story that I feel like it was amazing? I was, thank you. This was a wild ride. Yeah. Thank you. Um, no, I mean that, I think that feels complete. Yeah. And thank you for listening to me and holding the space for me to share. Um, I love his story. I love our story. I am so proud of it. And I hope that like the, the life within it and the joy is felt because that's truly where I am. And that is the potential that all women have. And thank God that we're women. I said that the other day. I was looking at my husband. And I was like, thank God I'm a woman. <laughs> because he, he doesn't get to experience this as a man. But we do as women if we answer the call to and we accept the responsibility. Like this is what could be. 